On this episode of the Trade Busters podcast, we're going to be talking about the hedge portion of the Vibranium Shield strategy. Before we go on, just a quick disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, so everything on this podcast is for informational purposes only and not to be construed as an investment advice. All right, so we have made it to the final portion of the Trinity system, and that is the hedge portion of the Vibranium Shield. Now, I've alluded to this many times before, but hedging is the most difficult and you know, the most unpredictable part of um, all of these strategies, right? I've, I've tried to always give, you know, very mechanical ways to manage your trades and to enter trades and to exit them. But really, hedging is just something where, and I've used this term before, path dependent, where the outcome is always going to depend on specifically, you know, how the market does what it does, right? How fast does it drop? Um, how big of a drop? And so what we're going to try to do this episode is just to give you a lot of context into, you know, a little bit about how the options work, why we structure this strategy the way we do, and, um, you know, just give you some ideas for ways you can best take advantage of, you know, if and when a kind of volatility event actually happens. So basically, we're going to talk about um, also the entry mechanics. Um, the reasons behind, you know, for example, why we do the roll or exit at the 30 DIT that I mentioned, um, and then also talk about uh, the margin requirement a little bit. And then uh, finally, again, just different ways to um, manage the exit. So first of all, uh, I mentioned before, the mechanics for the actual vibranium shield, the, the hedge is it's a 90 DTE, 1.5 delta long put that is purchased on a schedule for a budget. Now, why 1.5 delta, right? And you know, people have asked, you know, why not go higher delta, five delta, ten delta, for example, right? Because you can buy, you know, less contracts at a higher delta because they cost more. You can buy more contracts um, at a lower delta, and one reason is really you want this convexity. I've talked about this before and the fact that you know, when an event happens and you don't necessarily want to hedge just a one, five, seven percent drop, right? Really, because the theta engine strategy alone is going to be very resilient to a sort of a more mild sell off anyways. So we really just want this for those kind of huge events where we're going to see like a book wipe on the theta engine or have half of your position stopped out, for example. And in these cases, we want convexity because we want sort of the acceleration of the long options that you're buying. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the delta. And yes, this essentially is what creates the dead zone, right? The ha- wanting convexity ne- necessarily will create the so-called dead zone I've mentioned where you know, your income trade, aka the theta engine is losing, but then your hedge might also not be making money. It hasn't triggered or activated yet, right? So I'm going to walk you through a few kind of contrived examples just to uh, give you the context of why we want to, you know, where this convexity comes from and where the, you know, where that uh, so-called valley of death or the dead zone kind of occurs. So let's just take a contrived example. Let's say, so we're selling a 15 delta put on for the theta engine right now you can't do this in in practice 
But let's just say you bought the same put, right? So you're short the 15 delta and you're long the 15 delta at the exact same strike, right? So you, you got a certain credit and you just spent the whole credit to buy the exact same strike put, but you're long. Now, again, you can't do this in real life because you can't be long and short the same position. But let's just say, for example, you could, okay? So in this case, let's just let's just say we, we got $10 credit, right? $1,000. So our stop loss on the short put is 3x. So when the $10 becomes 30, right? So that when the option price triples. So in this case, because you are long the same option, when the short option triples in price, so does the long, which means your loss is perfectly matched by the long option. In this case, you have no convexity, right? You have the, because your short and long are the same position, right? So this is the contrived example. And that long put, because it's the same delta, same credit, same, same contract size, it is basically a perfect delta match and a perfect vega match one for one there's no one way or the other right now let's say instead of taking the whole credit and buying one 15 delta put we took the credit and we bought two so we spent five dollars on each and i don't know exactly what the delta that mean that could be 10 delta um so lower strike and you have two of them so this is basically a one to two ratio right and you can maybe start to get a little convexity, but I did a little bit of testing. Now, this wasn't very precise, it's not super scientific, but what I noticed is that if you got stopped out, and in that case, the instance where the one short option hits triple the credit, right, and you get stopped out, those two long options also just about triple in price, right? But again, because you bought two of them, but they were half the, the um each of them were half the price of the long so you sold one for ten dollars that hit thirty dollars you bought two for five each which is also ten dollars and those tripled and those became thirty dollars so again again this is not exact but in that case I've, I've noticed that again the two at the five delta or whatever that was basically had a gain that matched um the short meaning if the event that happens is only enough to cause the short to stop out those longs the convexity hasn't really kicked in yet, right? It, there's just enough to match um, the short. Now, if the, the market keeps going down or the event keeps happening, probably you're gonna get some convexity there. But what's gonna happen is if we push this a little further, let's say instead of saying spending a debit and the credit and buying two, we buy three, right? So now you're gonna go down to maybe like five delta, for example, or you buy three of them. What you'll notice is um, there may be a point where as the market moves down slowly, you start taking a loss on a short. The longs won't really gain anything yet. Now, as you get to the point where the short gets stopped, the longs start picking up. And at this point, you might, be, you might get a little bit of convexity, right? You might be able to cover the loss of the short and also a little bit more, right? Because again, the, the, the gain from the three, there's that kind of multiplicative effect, right? And I think with the 1.5 delta, basically it looks like you can buy about five to five longs to one short. But the problem is that strike is very low, right? Because it's 1.5 delta. So you'll notice that this zone where the short is taking a loss or is being tested, but the longs aren't kind of triggering, that increases. That's that so-called dead zone or the valley of death. But you're gonna get a lot of convexity if there's a big move and really you'll notice that what you're gaining from the longs is not from the delta anymore when when you're very high delta and the the longs had a similar delta to the short you were essentially getting a hedge that was benefiting from delta right 
with the longs being so low, and this is why people are saying if you're buying like these teenies, 1.5 delta, 2 delta, like do they really do anything? Yes, and that's because of Vega, right? The volatility expansion, you get this huge multiplicative effect of the Vega expansion on the longs, right? That's what causes the convexity. So if the market has like a really, you know, 10, 15% drop or 20% drop, those will really pick up, and then you'll, you'll start seeing a net benefit on this combo. So that's why we're doing this lower delta, right? And then with the higher DTE, the 90, um, it's because, uh, as you guys know, as you get closer to expiration, the theta picks up, which is bad for long puts. The vega goes down, which is also bad for long puts. And just, I did a bunch of testing and 90 DTE seems to maintain um, a good amount of vega for a little while and we're closing them at 30 dte remember so we we enter at 90 and close at 60. so we're exiting when there's still a quite amount of dte left and quite a lot of vega and by consistently entering at 90 and exiting at 30 dit which is around 60 you're gonna have a consistently refreshed and consistent level of hedge power so to speak and i've tested it at for example entering at 60 and then exiting at 30, but that theta is working against you like exponentially quickly. And I've just noticed that once you get below into the 30 range, you're just not a lot of juice. And even, you know, in the testing, the back testing, even in a pretty large event just doesn't cause them to trigger. So that's why um, we're doing them at 90 DTE and exiting at around 60. Now you may wonder, you know, why not just hold it to expiration? Why not just, you know, why bother? Because when you close it at 30 DIT, you've lost quite a bit of the premium. I'll talk about this later in the budgeting calculator, but you basically lose 75, 80% of the premium. So you're spending 80% of the premium on that first 30 days, which is only one third of the 90 DTE cycle. And you might be wondering why not just hold it? It's only gonna cost you 20, 30%, you know, the remaining premium. Um, but again, like I've mentioned, once you get below 60, especially the 30 and lower, you, there's just no juice. It's, it's almost not even worth it. Even saving that last 20, 30% of the premium, right? That can go to stretch how much of a budget you can spend. Again, I'll talk about that a little later for the budgeting calculator. So that's why we enter at 90 and close at 30 DIT. So you get this rolling book of consistently, um, kind of consistent power hedge. So as far as the entry, right? The, the flow of entering. Um, so let's basically, you're going to pick your allocation and actually, I'm going to flip to the, uh, the budget calculator here. There's the mechanics on the, the trading page. So let's say your allocation is 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever that is, okay? So that's a percent of your account. So if I'm using, and for this example, I'll use a million dollar account. If I spent 3%, and you can pop these numbers in the, uh, basically the, the budgeting tool, right? Your budget is basically $30,000 that you're spending. And remember, you're matching the theta engine allocation to exactly offset this to finance it. So you take your budget, then you're gonna calculate basically your budget per entry, right? And the budget per entry depends on how many entries per year, and which depends on the frequency. So this is up to you, and it depends on the size of your account. And, and you know, what these kind of credit targeting things, it's always depending on whether or not you can get a, a budget or entry credit that fits the size of the product you're trading. So what I mean is, Let's just, again, take a contrived example. If I'm entering once a month, right, which I don't necessarily recommend, but if I'm entering 
once a month. That's 12 times a year, right? So with a $30,000 budget, that's $2,500 budget per entry, right? If I'm entering um, once a week, for example, then I'm going to be entering 52 times a year. So that's $577 um, an entry, right? So in this case, I will go ahead and basically assume I'm going to enter four times a month. So that's 48 times a year. So if I enter 48 times a year, my budget is $625 per entry. But $625 is not what you spend as a debit when buying the long puts, right? Because, as I mentioned, because we're only holding them for 30 days and you expect about 80% decay, which means the option will lose about 80% value, which means when you exit, you'll kind of save 20%. So you can spend a little bit more in terms of the face value debit. So what I've done on the calculator is you'll see a budget per entry, which is right now 625, but debit per entry is the budget divided by 0.8. That will automatically scale up the face value budget, right? So at a debit of $781 per entry, right? If I've decayed 80%, by the time I exit, then my actual loss, and this doesn't account for like the commissions and everything, but my actual loss is $625, which is kind of that budgeted amount. So you take that debit, uh, the debit per entry, and you basically just buy as, as many 1.5 Delta 90 DT long puts as you can, all right? And that's it. So you have your, your budget, which is fixed, um, depending on number of entries, you figure out the budget per entry, which is, and then translate to the debit, and just every time your, the time comes to buy it, whether it's weekly, monthly, you know, daily, whatever it is, you just buy as many of the 1.5 delta long puts as you can. Now there is some flexibility, okay? If 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 you can, depending on the product you're trading, if it really you need a you know you're kind of on a in between like. 2.5 contracts or three contracts and you want to round up or down. I mean, you can go up or down a little bit. Um, you know, if you want to do 1.7 Delta or two Delta or even three Delta, as I mentioned before, the Delta isn't so important so much as we want to stay in that kind of one, two, three, maybe not one, but like one and a half to two or three Delta range, because we really want the convexity. When you go too high, um, it just, uh, you get that effect again where you don't really get that much net benefit like you might have enough juice just to cover the loss on the short um, but no more than that right because you actually want some net profit to actually hedge the rest of whatever it is that you're hedging so um, don't get too caught up right if you need to move up and down a little bit on the delta that's fine okay so that's uh, as far as the entry mechanics and we're going to talk about the margin real quick um, this isn't super important, but just something to keep in mind, on portfolio margin, the Vibranium Shield um, combo itself is very margin efficient. It, it basically doesn't really use that much margin. So I'll go through a quick example, and this is actually spelled out on the, there's a margin utilization example on this page. So again, we're going to go with the assumption of it's a million dollar account, 3% allocation. Um, we're going to say 48 entries per year. And I'm um, going as far as the finance portion, the usual 27% PCR um, for the 90 DT 15 Delta is about 26.4 days in trade on average. And we're assuming daily entry for the short put or the finance portion. So with those assumptions, basically the finance portion has a credit target of $427 credit target per entry. 
and at the 26.4 average DIT, your book size comes around an, on average 18.9, okay, 18.9 entries. So at the time I checked, and the 90 DTE 15 Delta put on SPY was about the 403 strike. I, I don't remember when I checked, but this was just a static example. Um, so that 403 strike SPY put was selling for about $430 credit, which is right on target, and had a margin requirement of $2,490. So that means on average, the margin utilization for the theta engine portion was 2,490 times 18.9, which is the average book size. So the average margin utilization was $47,061, right? So that's for the margin use for the, the, the finance portion. Now for the hedge portion, with four entries per month for the long puts, you basically have four tranches, so to speak, active at any one time, because at the end of the um, you know, four tranche period, you always have one that you're gonna come off and you're gonna add one again. So you just get this kind of rolling four tranche book. And remember, the debit spent was $781 per entry. So at the time, the 90 DTE 1.5 Delta put on SPY was 300 strike for about $56 debit. And um, each one gave you a $501 margin credit. So at that debit price and that um, 781 debit per entry, you could basically buy 14 contracts. So with four tranches, you'd have 56 contracts in total kind of as your book of long puts, right? And at the 501 margin credit per contract at 56 contracts, there's a total margin credit of 28,056. So if you basically just add those together, the net margin requirement of that combo in steady state on average was $19,000, which basically based on a $1 million account would be 1.9% of BP. So remember, this was based on kind of that 3% allocation. So it was 1.9% of margin per 3% allocations, but I just normalize that to a 1%. So for each 1% allocation, this uses like 0.6% of buying power. So basically nothing, right? So you can allocate pretty high on this. Um, I'm personally playing about 3% allocation. I don't know if you wanna do more. Again, there is some drawdown risk. We've talked about that in the last episode, um, but very light use on margin. So you don't have to worry about this kind of eating up a lot of your buying power. Now, finally, the important part, which is how to exit. So remember, again, hedging is not an exact science, okay? So there's a few heuristics or a few kind of simple rules you can use as a trigger to determine when to start exiting or cashing on. I've talked about this a little bit in, I think, the hedging episode I did earlier, um, one on just hedging in general and one on the VIX call ladder, which I don't do anymore. Um, in fact, this will replace um, the, the VIX call ladder. And basically, one idea is, uh, you know, if you guys do TA and you look at some kind of momentum stuff or moving average crossovers, if, if you have some kind of signal that generally for you triggers a bearish event or you know negative momentum, that could be a trigger for you to start cashing out, right? Another idea, VIX, right? The VIX, if VIX hits 50, right? Or 60 or 70, whatever it is, start cashing out. Now the idea is certain percent drop in the market, right? Let's say 
And again, you don't want to be overly aggressive because then you're just going to kind of waste these. But like, you don't want to start cashing out if the market goes down 2%, right? In fact, the hedge might not even do anything if the market drops 2%. So let's say the market drops 10%, right? Or 15% or whatever it is. Again, that is triggers you can do. And one thing to know, it doesn't mean you have to cash out everything. In fact, you don't, you're never going to expect to perfectly cash out the whole boat at that peak, right? And get the maximum profit. Just don't even try. Don't even think you can because you're not going to, right? And it's just too difficult. And w without the benefit of hindsight, no one's going to know. You're going to have emotions, you know, flaring up when, when you're losing money and the market's going crazy. So you just really want to have kind of a rule book in place and kind of simple rules to follow because believe me, things are not going to go anywhere, you know, as you imagine they would when these things play out. So you can do a mix of these kinds of triggers and you can exit in tiers, right? So let's say you have these kind of four tranches I mentioned of your hedging. You can exit one tranche at a time in steps, right? VIX at 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever it is, or what different combinations of the, the moving average crossover or, or market at 10% down, 12% down, 15% down, whatever it is. One thing you do not want to do is have an automatic percent profit take as in, you know, for example, on the short puts, right, we take a 60% profit. We just sit it there, right? You don't want to, for example, on the long puts, put like a 500% or a 1,000% or 2,000%. Now, just to give you some context, in COVID and in 2008, you could have easily gotten 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 6,000% return on some of the long puts. But you don't want to set that. I mean, you can set that as a profit target if you want, but I wouldn't necessarily hold out for that because, again, depending on the kind of event, I've done so many tests and I really, I really wanted to come back to you guys and be able to say, hey, if you set this percent profit take, it will work mostly okay in most of the crash scenarios. And I just could not find that because, again, we've talked about years where market goes down, market does, and VIX does nothing, right? The hedge does nothing. The puts do nothing. So in those years, I had to set, like, something really low, like 2 to 300% to even cash out anything. But then if you did that, you would completely miss a ton of profits on the real crash, right? And, again, yes, 200 to 300% sounds great, but really in the context where if you're allocating, you know, 3% of your you know, 3% budget to this puts a year, you're only going to have probably three quarter percent um, live allocated at any one time. So three quarter percent and you triple that 300% profit, you're only making like two and a half percent on your account, which is, I mean, it's fine, but really you want to make like 10%, 15%, right? That's what the, these, you want to make a lot when, when this crash happens. So an automatic profit take just doesn't work. Um, and also because when you have multiple uh, tranches, you have puts at different strikes, different deltas, different DTEs. They're not all going to react exactly the same. So a fixed profit target just isn't going to capture. I anyway, it, it just, trust me, things don't go as you plan. And you have to have a little bit of, you know, a, a lot of luck, honestly. But some of it is just... Um, you just want to do the best you can and like not 
go too aggressive and just cash out when the market just blips for no reason, right? And these are loose guidelines, right? Again, you have to do a little bit of discretion. Uh, number one, look at what's going on in the rest of your account, right? If, what are your other trades doing? What do you actually need, right? And sometimes, even if you did nothing, and I'm, I mean for the hedge, and you know, obviously you should always have stops or some kind of risk management on your income trades or whatever other strategies we're running. But if you happen to do nothing on the hedge and it blows up in price, right? The hedge as in this is a good thing. The hedge goes up in value and it, it's going to offset the drawdown that you have, right? And it's also going to offset the margin, right? It, it could save you from a margin call, for example. Not that you should ever get that close that a margin call should be something on your mind. But, you know, long puts will, again, kind of float your margin up a little bit if, if that's what you need. So even if you didn't cash out and lock in the profit per se, there still could be some benefits from having the hedge, right? Something to just keep in mind. But the last thing I want to go over is kind of a, you know, for me, I mentioned this earlier, and one of the priorities for me is just do no harm, meaning I don't want to cause extra losses to my portfolio because I'm running this vibranium shield, right? So what I mean is if I am... Let's say I'm normally running my theta engine, right? Not thinking about the hedge. Let's see, I have a target of 10% return. That's my normal allocation. Now I come in, I run the vibranium shield. I want to allocate 3% to the hedging. So I will need to increase my theta engine by 3% to finance that, right? So that necessarily increases my core income trade size a little bit, which is going to add a little bit more volatility to your portfolio. Now, because of the possibility of those, these dead zones where there may be a market move down where the you know your income trade and the theta engine is gonna get stopped out, right? And you're gonna take some losses. I hopefully at least have the long puts to cover the losses on that kind of scaled up portion, the extra portion I allocated to the theta engine. I don't wanna cause extra drawdown, right? The last thing I want, and Sometimes you can't avoid this, but if, if at all possible, I want to avoid a case where I am losing from my income strategy, the theta engine, and adding the vibranium shield just causes additional loss, right? If anything, I want to at least break even on that because at least I didn't cause additional losses. So kind of one thing I think about is like if something happens and you start getting stopped out or taking losses, I may want to cash out enough of my hedges just to cover the losses that were resulting from having to had scaled up that um, the theta engine in the first place. So I'll, I'll use a little bit of a rounder number. I know the the 10% and the 3% is kind of an odd number. I'll, I'll use a round number just just for sake of example. Let's say my theta engine target was 7.5% originally, and my vibranium shield target was two and a half. So I'm adding the two and a half sizing increase to theta engine. So I go from 7.5 to 2.5. Okay, so my, sorry, my 7.5 plus 2.5, meaning I'm trying to make 10% from the theta engine. So 2.5% of that was purely for trying to finance long puts. In other words, a fourth of it, right? Because 2.5 is a fourth of 10, okay? So what I might do in this case is, let's say, something happens, market's going down, I'm taking losses, and let's say I lost 
$10,000, right? I have a, I have a locked in loss of 10,000 from my stops. I might mentally account for, okay, a quarter of these losses were because I had to scale up the theta engine in the first place to finance um, the long puts I was buying. So a quarter of that 10,000 is 2,500, right? So because that extra $2,500 was from scaling up in the first place, I might look to cash out enough of the long puts to at least offset that $2,500 loss, basically covering the cost of having done the vibranium shield in the first place. Now, if I can do that, whatever is left of my long puts, those are kind of like runners, right? You can basically leave those and now wait for that next leg down or whatever, because any profits from those are now actually offsetting your primary portion, your original kind of allocation to your income strategy or theta engine or whatever it is, right? That is where this vibranium shield combo is actually starting to generate a net positive profit, a net positive hedging effect to offset the rest of your portfolio. Now, if you're gonna have sort of that kind of a framework, there is one thing you need to keep in mind. You don't wanna start cashing out as soon as you hit a single stop, right? Because again, if you just hit one stop, it could be one of those cases where the market has gone down, there's a blip and maybe has the market hasn't really done that much and the hedge is just up a little bit. And yes, you can lock in some profits, but remember, stops are part of the strategy. You're gonna have some ups and downs. And basically, if you jump in too quickly to cash out the long puts, you're basically gonna just water down your hedge for no reason. So to that, um, to that end, this heuristic of locking in enough of the profits to kind of offset your losses, you may want to pair that with some other, any of the triggers I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, some kind of technical analysis signal, a VIX trigger, or market drop percent. Or let's say if half of your book gets stopped out, right? Let's say you have 20 positions and 10 of them get stopped out. So some kind of minimum threshold, some kind of, kind of minimum bar to pass before you seriously consider starting to cash out the long puts all right so anyways that's kind of the ideas that i had um full disclosure we haven't started running the vibranium shield live yet we plan to next month um so today's october 29th so it's the end of october and really we just want to dial in the sizing how much we actually want to allocate and that's going to be depending on you know how much we're running the theta engine in size in the first place, right? We're gonna kind of balance that out and really just dialing in and writing down a rule book of which mechanics you wanna follow. Again, these are loose rules because if a crash actually happens, again, nobody knows what the next one's gonna be like, what's gonna be happening, how your portfolio is gonna be reacting. You just have to have something to at least give you some context so that you're not just kind of running around know what they're like a chicken with their head cut off and not knowing what's going on so again just to give you some ideas and hopefully uh now with these episodes you guys can start getting an idea of how the pieces kind of work together i know this has been a lot it's been pretty dense but honestly i just wanted to give you guys the information to give you the confidence and the conviction behind a do i want to do these strategies how do they work why do they work when do they when do they work? When do they don't work? And so you can decide for yourself 
you know, what you want to do. Next episode, I will do like a quick, well, I always say quick, but it ends up being long. I will do sort of a, um, like a daily workflow episode where I just go through physically trading this, like what that's like. Honestly, that doesn't, shouldn't take that long because I've said this before, the physical trading aspect is very quick. <laughs> it's just like you enter one trade or maybe two trades or three trades, you put in the stops and you're done, right? The rest of the time is really spent logging and just kind of monitoring the, the risk and just tracking your positions. But the physical trading time isn't that long. So I'll go through kind of a workflow example. So we will save that for next time. And for now, let's let's leave it there. Um, as always, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's available on most of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also find more of my content on my trading page at www.thetradebusters.com, where you can find all of my strategy mechanics and trade logs, as well as essays I've written and other podcasts I recommend. Finally, you can follow me on Twitter at The Trade Buster. That's it for today. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.